Welcome to Act in Line, the podcast of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. I'm Caroline Roberts, producer and host. Today we're going to be discussing, of course, the one subject on everyone's minds right now, the coronavirus. 2020 currently looks very different from how many of us had imagined, and I'm sure all of you have been affected one way or another by the virus. The nation and really the world is in anxiety or grief right now. There are so many elements about this issue that we'll be talking about in the coming weeks and months, and we'll be here to cover this crisis as it unfolds for you. But for right now, I'd like to take you back to where it all started, in Wuhan, China. What responsive measures should have been taken that weren't? How did the People's Republic of China put the world in danger? And who in China risked their lives and even the lives of their family members to raise the alarm for your sake? Helen Raleigh, a senior contributor at The Federalist, joins me today to answer. There's a lot of information packed in this episode, so be sure to check out the show notes for a real deep dive into what we'll be talking about, including stories from people in Wuhan who spoke up against China's communist regime. Show notes are posted every Wednesday when our episodes release at blog.acton.org. As of March 17, coronavirus, or COVID-19, has infected 126 countries, and it's estimated that it's also infected at least 180,000 people worldwide. As of recording this, over 7,000 people globally have died from the virus that originated in Wuhan, China. Here to speak with me about this issue is Helen Raleigh, a senior contributor at The Federalist. Helen, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Helen, you have written a lot about this issue, about the coronavirus for The Federalist. And I think that um, you've really done a great job at bringing attention to China's massive failings to deal with the crisis when it first began. So I'd like to start from the very beginning of this issue. We know that the first appearance of this strain of coronavirus, or um, also called COVID-19, first showed up in the village of Wuhan in China. But this first case was confirmed a number of months ago. It looks like now we have evidence that it was confirmed all the way back in mid-November. But here's the problem, basically, is that Chinese authorities told the World Health Organization about coronavirus showing up in Wuhan on December 31. So that's more than a month after the very first case appeared. Obviously, China has failed not only not only Wuhan in their country, but really the world in not bringing this to our attention earlier. Can you detail these failings for us? What first happened and whose voices were silenced? Sure. Um, Thank you for having me again. This is an evolving issue, as we know more information. So as, as of now, like you mentioned, that we know Earlier, patient zero appeared in China in mid-November. Um, but the Chinese, uh, for earlier report from earlier reports, um, most people confirmed that at least the first reported case to hospital was appeared in, China, in Wuhan, China, on December first. Um, Chinese authorities did not notify. WHO, the World Health Organization, on December 31st, uh, which, like you mentioned, is a delay for about a month. Um, everything we learned about a pandemic now is that um, those early days, weeks, are very crucial. Had we had the Chinese government, came, um, you know, 
come clean earlier and address it immediately, take decisive early actions, you know, or our life would be much different now. You know, we're not, we're not going to experience all this death, sickness, and working from home, or our life basically around the world totally turned upside down. So in back, in back, back then, back in China, um, they were medical professionals. When the first cases appeared in Wuhan, there were several medical professionals. We knew at least eight of them noticed something was wrong. Initially, they thought it was SARS because, you know, coronavirus, as we know now, is a new virus. Um, but people back in China, they, those doctors, they have experience dealing with SARS. So they initially saw those cases um, they met with SARS, but they know at least it's infectious. So they tried to notify uh, one doctor tried to notify her own authority in the hospital, and she was, you know, dismissed as overly concerned. And then she tried to put her staff. Uh, her name is Ifen. She tried to make sure all her staff wear protective gears. Not the overall we saw nowadays, but at least wear just basic things: gloves and um, uh, masks. And another doctor, uh, Li Wenliang, which we're gonna probably talk about more. Uh, he also noticed the about this case. And he learned from Dr. Ifen, the, the lady I mentioned earlier. And so he posted um, in his, um, basically his uh, college alumni group, just warned his friends and the families to say, hey, everybody should pay attention. There's something suspicious going on with this viruses. And he and other doctors who shared his post, uh, about a, there were eight of them, they were called into Wuhan police station and they were reprimanded for spreading rumors. Uh, Dr. Lee later posted a forced confession. He had to sign in Chinese, basically told, basically ordering him stop spreading rumors and make sure he understood there be, understand there will be serious consequences if he continue to talk about the virus. So Dr. Lee, you know, pro signed the confession. He went back to work, and it, it turns out that he unknowingly treated a. Pro, uh, patient who also unknowingly was infected by the disease. So Dr. Lee was infected himself. And he passed, um, he passed away um, last month and uh, his death really triggered, became a tipping point in China. Hmm. And um, he was only 34, so right? He was only 34 wow. and he was very young. So there were rumors going on because when he was uh, from the time that he was confirmed that he was contracted with the disease to his death. There were at least several weeks' um, time in between. And it, he was reportedly tested multiple times, and his test result was always negative. But he was just keep getting sicker and sicker. And so the week before he died, that his test finally came back was, you know, he was positive, basically means he's infected. And on Ironically, on that same day, he accepted the interviews for multiple outlets, including international outlets. And that interview basically became his last in, last interview. And he left us with this famous uh, last words from Dr. Lee is, a healthy society should not have only one voice. Hmm. And Dr. Lee passed away a couple of days later. And what nobody, not even Chinese government expected was that Dr. Lee's passing has become this um, tsunami, emotional tsunami within, you know, in, in China, among Chinese people. 
Well, in a piece from the Wall Street Journal, it was reported that Wuhan's mayor said that his hands were, quote, tied by rules that require mm-hmm. Beijing's approval before releasing sensitive information. So all of this can be tracked yeah. back to Beijing and that Xi Jinping would not allow this information to leak out of Wuhan, it sounds like. Yes, it's, it's absolutely true because um, she is a very different um She's a very different communist party leader compared to his predecessors. He's very controlling. And he basically, since he came into power from late 2012, um, he consolidated all the power in his own hands. So he, his nickname was, his nickname is, he's a chairman of everything. So nothing can be done, nothing important can be done in China without his personal approval. And he's also on, um, He's also took uh, the controlling of information flow much, much further than his predecessors. Well, because when he came to power, China had this financial resources and a technology know-how to really monitor uh, its population's um, speech and the behaviors through Mm -hmm. facial recognition, cameras everywhere, and through online censorship. So he has all this, so he basically practicing something called digital Leninism. So he has the ability to control the information flow. And he, unlike his predecessors, he emphasized more than anyone that he only wants a certain message out. He only, he wants to present, preserve certain image that he wants to show. The image he wants to show to Chinese people as well to the rest of the world is China is this uh, returning world power. China is this benevolent um, world power that is rising peacefully and it's basically just going to go back to claim what is originally what right China's rightful place is this world power you know everybody should respect and bow down you know to and so a virus something like this a spread of virus is something that um, definitely is, is to him it's a bad news he doesn't want to let the information out he, you know he 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 wants to control the messaging he wants to keep everything you know wrapped up as long as he can until he finds a way to present it in the most positive way which we're seeing what he's doing right now well I think it's shocking to many people to think about just all of the fallout from this virus that originated in Wuhan um, but you know in some ways it's not surprising at all the uh, length that they went to to cover up the information mm-hmm. occurred at all. Right. And that's the nature of a dictatorship. You know, she is really a dictator. Um, you know, he changed the Chinese constitution a couple of years uh, in 2017, I believe, and basically made him, you know, took out the term limit and made him a president for life. So in any dictatorship, whether than the Mao, Starling, or, you know, Fidel Castro, dictatorship breed liars, mm-hmm. right? Because it's very, the price of telling truth is so high, you know, you you either, you know, willing to, you know, give up your life like Dr. Lee did in order to tell the truth, or you just, in order to survive, you just have to become liars. That's why that the Wuhan mayor, you know, even though I think he's personally, and, and he should be held responsible uh, for what he did as, as a part of the cover-up. But I also sympathize with, you know, that he, I do, I do believe his hands were tied, that a pandemic is not something he can just go out, tell people what to do. He needs Beijing's approval. So all this uh, responsibility, really, you know, she, she is the one should bear the responsibility. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, you know, so alerting the public was delayed at every step. Um, But the World Health Mm -hmm. Organization, you also write that on February 8, Tedros Adhanom, I believe is how you pronounce his name. He is the director Mm -hmm. general of the World Health Organization. He couldn't stop praising the Chinese government's response. What is his relationship with China? Why is this in his personal interest? Yeah, it's it's very puzzling. Um, I think in my article, I mentioned a couple of things. Uh, one of them is, even though China is not the largest contributor WHO, uh, United States is, but uh, China has been spending its money other ways. Um, the communist government has emphasized that the cultivating relationships with leaders in international organizations to try to build influence, and also China's really big into uh placing Chinese officials, um, you know, the government officials into those international organizations, basically use those international organizations as the platform to promote the image and the message that uh, she, the communist China wanted, wanted to be, wanted to promote and also use those international organizations to shield any criticisms and, you know, towards China. In terms of what happened right now with the pandemic and, and the behavior of WHO, it shows at least for Beijing, those, uh, you know, cultivations, those efforts really paid off, you know, because it's really puzzling. Uh, after China notified WHO on December 31st, and Chinese officials did not report any, uh, you know, did not report many new in, new cases, even though, you know, images on social media show that the Wuhan's hospitals overwhelmed, you know, people are, you know, the hospital crowded and people are complaining they couldn't get care. It, you know, eventually Chinese government had to shut down the city um, on January 23rd. But prior to that, the Chinese the CDC officials still openly saying on in, on China's state media that the, the likelihood of a person-to-person transmission is very low. This whole time when Chinese government is delaying, covering up, and uh, still giving misinformation, WHO did not call them out. WHO did not call them out about the Amazing. cover-up, did not call them out about the delay, did not call them out about the misinformation. But as soon as you know, China announced they're going to lock down 60 million people in three different cities, all you could hear are praises from WHO about this, oh, this is decisive actions. And when United States announced the travel ban from China, you know, WHO joined China criticizing you know, United States for, for the travel ban to say, well, you know, you don't need to be so hysterical. Guess what? Now, WHO encourage you know all the countries to to take extreme measures to follow China's needs. So so it's like it's like WHO as the international healthcare organization somehow it allowed China's powerful uh, financial as well as the world power status to influence a healthcare organization to make healthcare decisions based on political influence. Another thing WTO, WHO is doing is that I find it's very troubling is that um, since 2016, um, under Beijing's pressure, WHO kicked the Taiwan out of the WHO. So Taiwan lost its membership. Taiwan so far 
in this whole pandemic, Taiwan is one of the few countries have been doing a great job of containing the pandemic spread in Thai, in on, on this island that's packed with 23 million people. And that Taiwan received no praises from WHO. Taiwan uh, Taiwanese representatives were excluded from crucial meetings from from WHO. And the Taiwan's achievement was wrapped up under China's. So WHO still still label Taiwan as a high risk area, even though Taiwan so far, despite being so close to mainland China, Taiwan so far has only 77 cases and one death. So, so the, the whole WHO really lost its credibility throughout this whole pandemic. Oh yeah, oh yeah, for sure. And they still have not called China out on the cover up. No, they still have not. Yeah, because I think I think they are too far in there praising and uh, joint interests together to to you know to do so that's why that's why i think one after this whole pandemic is over i think many countries will next time if something similar happens who has lost its credibility many countries will not let's wait for who to give guidance mm-hmm. now the washington post ran an interesting article last week that brings attention to conspiracy theories now swirling around in China that blame yeah. the U.S. <laughs> um, I'd like you to comment on that a bit. Um, some statements that I've heard uh, that are being promulgated in China are, you know, the United States should learn from China about how to respond to an epidemic. Uh, the United States was the origin of the coronavirus and the global crisis was never <laughs> China's fault. Can you speak to that for a bit? I yeah. mean, just the level that they go to to cover this up is just insane. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, I, I mean, I think one of the fallout of this whole pandemic, once it's over, I do believe it, it will be over, is we will recognize what does China rising, what does the communist China, I should say, what does communist China's rising uh, or this return to world power status really means to the rest of the world. I don't think we recognize this before the pandemic um, because many countries were uh, praising China. I just had an article about how Italy and Iran both signed up with China's Belt and Road you know, infrastructure project. Everybody thought, you know, China's rising is inevitable. It's going to be this new, much more beloved partners in, in, in on the global stage. And how China handled this, uh, how communists try to handle this whole pandemic really showed us their true color. First, they try to cover up and then they try to uh, handle misinformation. And then when the situation in China probably is getting a little better, and but outside of China, the pandemic spread has been getting worse. And the Chinese leaders probably like playing chess. They're looking several steps Ahead, they know that when this pandemic is over, that China will, when people turn their attention from contain the pandemic back to you, who should be held responsible, right, for all this death, sickness, and the economic downturn? Who should be held responsible? They are going to turn to China. So there, that's why there a censorship and the propaganda machines now going overdrive, try to shoot, turn back the blame to the United States before you know before anyone. Because we are fighting a pandemic right now, so nobody really have much energy or resource and time to to address that. So they think now is the opportunity for them to try to change the narrative to 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 blame others, which is you know we shouldn't we shouldn't be surprised about it. You know, for people exactly. like me who's long time observers of China, none of us are really surprised. That's just their typical playbook. You know, when something bad happens, it's always denial, denial, delay. 
and then blame someone else. There's nothing new there. And it's not only the silencing of Chinese citizens, but now U.S. journalists as well. Yes, yes. And, and that's really unfortunate uh, turnout, too. Um, that's not only they kicked the three uh, Wall Street Journal uh, reporter out, which they blame the racist headline is a just such a cover up. It has nothing to do with the it has nothing to do with the headline. I have a piece on the Federalist that kind of explain all the background information. All I can tell you now is it has nothing to do with the headline. The headline was a cover up, um, you know, for this is something that they wanted to do because the foreign journalist really helped especially the foreign journalists who are brave enough to uh, stay in Wuhan to cover what's really going on on the ground to show it to the rest of the world. And it really drives Beijing mad, you know, because, again, they want to control the messaging and they want to sh- present China as this all-powerful, benevolent, and have everything under control, uh, making great sacrifice, you know, a world of power. And then you have a foreign journalist that say, wait a minute, that's not the case, and here's what's really going on. And so they just use this as an excuse to, I mean, the latest I read is they're going to force um, Wall Street Journal, uh, New York Times, as well as the Washington Post, a, a journalists in China to submit their, uh, will not renew their visa in 2020, basically will not let them reporting in China. This is just, you know, this is just disgusting. Mm-hmm. This, this, is, this is a cover up, you know, beyond that what we have, imagined. every time we, we think we we saw the lowest of the low, and they kept being, the, the the Beijing keep going lower. Right. Well, do you think people in China are really buying this cover up? No, no. That's why we should go back to talking about the Dr. Li Wenliang. Um, I, I, and also this pandemic. Uh, I wrote in my articles. I'm, you know, in the past when, you know when there was a Hong Kong protest, when there was uh, Uyghurs who, millions of them got interned in uh, uh, internment camps, those things, you know, caused a, you know, big revelation outside of China, but didn't really generate as much coverage nor uh, empathy, I, know I shouldn't use empathy, but but reactions from majority of the Chinese people, because those those events were very isolated. They're, they happened just in you know, one corner of China. And it doesn't really impact, at least on the surface, doesn't really impact majority of the Chinese's well-being. This pandemic, however, changed everything because it's a virus has no color and it doesn't it doesn't differentiate. It goes everywhere and everybody could be infected at any time. So this is something that's really um left an impact on the Chinese people's society because now suddenly, you know, for years, um, they accepted a social contract from Chinese government to say, hey, you know, you have you will get the limited freedom in exchange will promise will promise you with prosperity and stability and safety. And the most people, most Chinese people accept that social contract. And for three decades, it has worked out well almost for everyone, you know, except for us small groups. It seems to work out for everyone. But this pandemic and how the government's delay and the cover up really end up hurting the people has become a wake up call. Now people suddenly realize this is so called a con this promised a, a stability and a prosperity and a safety is really a beautifully wrapped up lie. You know, it it's it's crumbling in front of a virus. And and people now realize that um 
had China had free press and freedom of expression, none of this would have happened or not would not happen in this scale. So after Dr. Lee's death, you know, there was overpouring of grief and anger on China's social media. And the Chinese censors really had to go overdrive to try to curtail it. But all the signs we see now, Chinese people are more willing to speak up because they realize in order to keep themselves safe, to keep their family safe, freedom of speech is essential. Um, just give you a couple quick examples. Most recently, a Chinese senior leader went to visit a lockdown community in Wuhan. Oh, it's a highly staged visit. So all the residents were told they have to stay inside their apartment. They were not allowed to come out, right? So as she was walking through the community in this highly staged you know, um, event, several residents shouted from their balcony, saying, it's all fake. Everything's fake. And this were all recorded. Um, the reason they say it's all fake is because they were those residents, they were low on groceries and their buildings were supposed to get in, disinfected regularly. It didn't happen. Um, but the government officials staged it, you know, to pretend they were delivering food and disinfected buildings when the senior official came to inspect. So after the people complained, um, the the government, local government showed up the next day, you know. To, to, to deliver food and uh, to disinfect the building. So people realize that they have to be the squeaky wheels. Another, another sign is after two Chinese citizen journalists disappeared after posting um, videos about what's really going on in Wuhan, the pandemic, uh, another young Chinese journalist, um, he, he was working for China's state uh, television. He had this really... Uh, rising career. He quit his job. He knew the danger um, going in, but he traveled all the way to Wuhan to start posting videos, visiting communities, visiting the funeral homes. And now he's disappeared too. Um, but right before he disappeared, he posted this video on YouTube, basically saying that, uh, you know, young people, he's only 25. He said that young people like him um, mostly have no knowledge of what's happened in China's past. You know, they think the history, they, the situation they have now is what they deserve. And he said, no, don't believe that. He said, uh, you know, he hopes more young people will join him to start speaking the truth. And I just find it so inspiring to, to watch his last, last video. I, I think we're going to see more and more um, you know, people taking different actions, maybe not the mass protest like they did in Hong Kong, but the Chinese people are waking up, uh, realized how essential it is for their own safety, you know, to have freedom of speech and free press. Looking at the scope of this crisis all over the world now, you know, China has put hundreds of thousands of lives at risk. And mm-hmm. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that it has affected almost every single one of us. Um, My heart just Mm -hmm. goes out to the people who have lost loved ones or are struggling with health and living in fear. I just can't imagine Mm -hmm. what Wuhan must look like right now. Um, And speaking about that village, are there any stories that you can share with us that are encouraging? Stories where um, people out of resilience have risen up and been able to help their neighbors, um, either, you know, providing food to each other or resources. Um, Do you have any of those stories? Um. (laughs) 
I, I, I don't have a specific stories about that, um, but uh, um, in one of my articles, I linked a video to show that uh, Wuhanese, they're shouting through their windows at, in, at night and they waving their cell phones to show the lights and basically cheer each other on, um, you know, to say, hey, you know, Wuhanese, don't give up, Wuhanese, you know, keep going. And I, I found those things are very, um, those things are very encouraging. And uh, also the the doctor, the female doctor, Ifen, uh, she's she's speaking up, and she got an inter- She interviewed. Um, she told the truth in an interview with the Chinese media most recently. Her interview was deleted, but um, Chinese <laughs> Chinese netizens are so creative. Now they're trying to find all kinds of ways to to share his her interview. Uh, they use the Star Wars image. They use the emojis. They even use the imaginative language to share his uh, to translate her interview into something else so they can share so all this to me are very encouraging that um, again people are waking up people are dealing with it uh, i think for your listeners um if they are they really if they really want to know how people in wuhan in that city the city is still under lockdown since um January 23rd. So if we are going crazy just after two days of self-quarantine, imagine what they have to go through. And you don't really have to imagine because there are other activists working on translating diaries uh, from Wuhanese uh, and post them on the internet. So uh, if anybody's interested, they can follow my Twitter, H. Rowley Speaks, and I have links to share the, it's the hashtag Wuhan Diaries that the people can link to and, uh, and read. Those, uh, it's translated into English just to see how those people um, you know, live through lockdowns. And to me, those things are precious. And it's um, people who, doing the trend, who write those diaries, who take the risks to translate them into English, are taking great personal risks. But these are part of a human history that we need to keep, we need to document. And again, once this pandemic is over, we need to come back, look through all those, you know, uh, documentation and decide how we should move forward and hold Beijing accountable for this pandemic. I couldn't agree more. And I will make sure to link all of those resources that you just named um, in our show notes. Helen, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Thank you for getting the message out. As always, thank you so much for listening today. Our podcast team loves putting this show together for you every week, and it's so encouraging to hear back from our listeners. Feedback is super important to me because it lets me know what you'd like to hear more of, including the kinds of topics you're interested in most, and also how I can improve this show to make sure you're getting the most out of it. You can reach our team at actinline at actin.org, or you can call our office at 616-454-3080. And if you like our show, you know what to do. Leave us those ratings and reviews on the Apple Podcast app and subscribe. Act in Line is on YouTube, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you listen.